that we can recognize practice in terms of mind, in terms of the mind, um, as getting a handle on it, recognizing the mind, recognizing mind, purifying the mind, and uh, realizing or liberating the mind. That is, is all kind of the general heading of, of awakening or liberation. Difference being that when we, we liberate the mind from ill effects of the recognizing when the mind is uh, as ill effects, then the mind is other than the ill effects. Uh, so this is the, the first stages of that process. Like recognizing and purifying or cleaning the mind. Liberating the mind is um, um, what comes after the purification is is a recognition of the within the mind, (laughs) the sense of freeing the mind from some position or stand or definition or sphere or station or place, entityhood. An uninstructed person tends to assume that the mind is just the, the thinking uh, the moods it's that and then there's someone who's, who's practicing will feel that their mind is affected by that by those things but is other than that mm. the mind is the, is the space or the uh, sensitivity that receives these effects these things pass through the mind and this is the place where um, a lot of our practice is done. Most of the practice is done in this particular place or this particular scenario. We keep recognizing uh, this is something that's affecting the mind, this is not the mind. So it leads to a kind of uh, standing apart from effects, so the mind is something other than these effects rather than cause and effect. But then, of course, the, the um, still leads to some sense of, of the mind being other than that, so what is it? So we get something more like a higher self, or a particular quality of spaciousness or luminosity. That's, we say, that's the, that's the true mind. No, this is actually the mind, or the still the sense of being and becoming. Where the signs of uh, anicca and anatta are the continual um, signs that are being applied to that experience. 
can the quality of, of silence or emptiness uh, or luminosity um, be regarded as something that's, uh, that hasn't arisen because of conditions? Has it, has not, has it, has it not required some kind of effort um, to arrive at this? Has it not been cultivated? Um, If it's other than conditions, then um, if it's, what about consciousness? Mm. Is this not some aspect of consciousness? Is it not something that's held as a, then as a separation from conditions, or in some kind of dualism? Therefore, it's 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 dependent. It's, it's it acts as a, or it seems to be an opposition, um, a distinction from conditions. So with that, there can be a, a taking, a stand against conditions, or resistance to, or a favouring of. Mm. So this is always, um, when one has received some results of, of purification, or those times when the mind does, does seem to be empty or bright or clear, then it's, uh, this is uh, a fortunate and skillful result. And then we're actually aware or contemplating how how does this how, how do conditions affect this? What's the effect? How does walking or um, sensation affect this? How does energy affect this? How does intention affect it? How does confidence affect this? So there are the factors inherent in consciousness brightness um, spaciousness clarity these are, these are dhammas aspects of of, pure, of a pure consciousness mm. it's not that we, we're dismissing this, this territory but then this the quality of the pure Purified consciousness or the purified mind is then t- something that to be re- freed from holding it or taking a stand upon it.
And so we place all our emphasis not uh, on um, on a particular state of being, such as uh, clarity or tranquility. Not these are irrelevant. These are signs of of fruitions of of skills, but always one's um, one's intent is on things like mindfulness, investigation, you know, or on the actual agencies of practice that we build up from the start and we stay with all the time. Factors of samadhi, such as vitaka, vichara, vitisukha, enlightenment factors, investigation of conditioned states, so these are things we we use or stay with, uh, or, or that, so that their maturation um, is able to to liberate from the, the tendency to hold a particular state of being. So the av- average uninstructed person would tend to assume. You know, their thinking, their feeling, and so on, and they have, they have little reflection on that. Um, and as one begins to experience the the, um, the contradictions and the unevenness and the unreliableness of this apparent agency of mind, how it, it doesn't always behave in the same way, it comes up with behavior that's Unsuitable, painful, reckless, impulsive, um, unreliable, contradictory, uh, anicca in its crudest aspect, it's uncertain, unreliable, anatta in its crudest aspect, it's, it's not coherent, um, it seems to be something out of control, not belonging, not one's, one sense of person changes if you really contemplate the process of mind. Solar changes, can't maintain it. So then, this is where really our, our, our path begins, or seems to take a definite, more definite shape. And much of the practice is just recognizing the inconsistencies of mental behavior, uh, the moods, the drives, the mistrust, the uh, tensions, the moments of jubilation and of moments of despair, moments of belief and certainty, followed by uncertainty. You know, the, the process of mental behavior is inconsistent, unreliable. Then one doesn't take stand on mental behavior. One doesn't go along with mental behavior. So our practice then is is much more inclined towards, in a way, uh, differentiating our mind from from behavior, from mental behavior. The mind as the knowing, or the mindfulness, or awareness, um, investigation. And so much of our practice is at this place, just the, you know, the the dullness, or the worry, or the restlessness, or the agitation, 
and just being able to hold awareness, attention as, as something that, that is not taken over by these, um, these agencies, these causes and these effects. So you have the, the causing, which is the impulse that arises, surges up, to, to we check, we check it. And uh, the effects, um, you know, the things that we received, uh, heard, seen, it's come to us through the senses, and the ripples and reverberations of that, um, we let that pass. So in a way, it's a kind of checking, restraining, and also just a letting go, letting go of past effects, and a checking of, of present causes. And this is uh, probably, the for most of us, this is going to be the main thread of our practice, something we grow to rely upon. Is there an impulse that is, that is allowed to pass without some kind of check? Check doesn't have to be, you know, full handcuffs and and leg irons. It's, it's just like, a, wait, what's that? Well, it's just checking, acknowledging, recognizing, if you like, the volition, the impulse of the mind. And around that, we get quite a lot of wisdom. How, because we see how a particular effect is taken and um, how it in, the mind engenders effect, uh, causes out of effects. Effects don't necessarily give causes, but they are engendered through the system of, of self, of personality. That is, a sound is heard, a sight is seen. It's just that, actually. But then what occurs is there is a, a, um, a meaning associated with that or a perception associated with that. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's this. That's that. That reminds me of this. Very often it's rather like uh, uh, it reminds me of whether this is actually something reminding one of some you know, quite obviously reminds you of a story I heard or, or just you get this kind of resonance effect of recognition. And recognition is literally recognize. That is the initial cognitive act of noticing something is reformulated by the mind. That's where the cause begins. Recognition, sanya. And the sanya is where things enter us and the, the sense of I am begins with this because the sanya is it's the full um, dictionary of our, our learned um, of our learning it's the full all the files are there of how we see things and uh, recognize things and how we've learned things So, in a way, it's, it, it becomes, because, you know, then that becomes our self, because that, that storehouse of learned information is the basis of permanence. 
it's like the library rather than just a, a broadcast on the radio which is just flick moment and gone this is like a library permanent you know? that's where permanence as a mental experience comes in with that isn't it you know? the sense of oh, I remember yeah. that feeling of having a whole kind of inner dimension of substantiality Based upon that, having been in the past, having that accumulation of, of perception, then the volition, which is the impulse, begins from that. Often the impulse is a learned thing, like what I always do when I see this, what I'm supposed to do when I hear that, uh, the way I always act, you know, the customary, the habitual, the normal. Then that's the um, the karma and the jetan of the volition comes out of that. Now that's just normal functioning. So if we check it, we're recognizing that. Um, some of that may have obvious harmful effects, worry, doubt, irritation defensiveness, aggressiveness, uh, conceit, dismissiveness, you know, these, these habits, ingrained habits. So, one begins to maybe recognize the suffering of those, and this is what we want to free ourselves from. And that actually involves recognizing all of it, all of the perceptions or the whole the whole mechanism of that. Because it's only when you recognize it that you're able to really get into the works of of where does that perception arise? Is the perception accurate? Uh, is this really something that's dangerous, hostile, unpleasant? Is this really something that's stupid and a waste of time? Is this really somebody who's who's getting in my way, or um, is the answer to my problems, or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever comes up. Whereby things are appropriated as meaningful for my aims and conveniences, or for my fears and worries, or for my um, insecurities and irritations. So the perceptual activity very much appropriates the world and people to to accommodate these uh, unwholesome tendencies. We say we project these. We don't actually, you know, we don't project them, but the perceptual system, you know, unloads onto people and events in terms of infatuation, irritation, fear, um, you know, all this stuff that can go on. And and also not people, just also events. You know, how routines affect us or solitude affects us or activity affects us. And we go into the find ourselves coming from that perception with with already with a whole load of, of um second hand impulses. The process of mindfulness is often one of very much breaking down the perceptual realm into 
taking out or just putting a hold on the on the meanings of things, and looking much more closely moment by moment what what really is this, and that gives us a chance to check into the volitions that arise. See, I'm getting really tight, getting really kind of uppity, and what's what's happening? And you begin to see when you check some of these things. Uh, the the un- the unreliable um, or the afflicted or the confused nature of of one's library. Uh, so the purification and healing is is often about going into that that library and taking out the the misprints. <laughs> <laughs> There's just naughty left, huh? <laughs> it's just misprint. <laughs> so it's just down to one thin volume. <laughs> but it's not, you're not trying to wreck the system. That purification of that, because this is just the natural, you know, way that the khandas work. And so actually, when you begin to understand, like sanya, vedana, sankara, vijnana, rupa, these, what these words refer to, particularly the sanya, sankara, is very interesting, and the vedana, to investigate feeling, perceptions, and volitional formations, karma formations, seeing how they kind of you know, nestled together. So the Vedana is is itself is is um, is reliable in a way, and it's impermanent and changing, but it it, it doesn't pretend to be otherwise. Um, it's much more fleeting. It's the, the perception, perceptual realm that you have to be um, clear about, get some clarity around. And just investigating that, we, we begin to see some of our, some of these karmic habits, how we, you know, the perceptual world, we get these um, things of fear, uh, craving, um, you know, urgency over things that actually nothing to really be frightened of or fear at this point is not, not necessary or nothing really to be fascinated by is there so establish the that the qualities of of mindfulness investigation to make the mind to bring out this quality of uprightness that's 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 but that's that's volitional. It's definitely something we do. We're in a way drawing volition into the volition to awaken, and it's it's willed. It requires effort, and sometimes the main thread of this practice is just hard work. You know, not something that that occurs through a moment's effort or through 10 minutes effort, but days, months of 
of resisting the, the, the pull of the perceptual world, its nagging, its insistence for, for pleasure and for comfort and for dulling out and for fantasizing and for distracting and for, you know, getting off on something or the other. And as, you know, being able to, to, to not get panicked by these experiences is is totally normal, but a quiet and steady and determined volition towards uprightness. Walking meditation, walking hour, two hours or so, and the mind, you know, what's the point of this, and this, and this, and this, doubt, agitation, better things to do, you're going to get tired, whatever. And uh, really checking into those, those meanings. But otherwise, it's like, how long do you want? To, does one want to be um, capitulate to all this stuff? And we all do it enough to recognise. Yeah, you know, you, you get this moment when you when you give in to something. It's a moment when you think, oh, it's oh, it's nice. The pressure's off, and then it doesn't take long before it builds up again into something else. So it's, uh, and this is something that, that is not done through just that one lunging effort, but a, a steady uh, practice of years, you know, of of strengthening the volitional volition to awaken the enlightenment factors uh, in accordance with how one recognizes hindrances. Something we don't we don't doesn't recognize at first. We don't see them as such. Some of them, you know, do not, they don't disappear in a day. There are things we have to say, well, that's as far as it goes today. You know, and, you know, park it there for today. And then tomorrow, or next day again, when the worry comes up, or the doubt comes up, or the, the craving comes up, you know, well, we'll get back to that and keep practicing it. So we're not really giving it deadlines on it. So we, so that sense of establishing the upright mind, uh, whereby one, one does know one has that, one can go to that, and in and in time, uh, we keep keep within that that sphere, that realm of the upright mind. So, even the doubt, how long for, or the worry, oh, I'm still with this. It's been three years. I'm still getting upset. I'm still you know, getting angry still stuck on chocolate biscuits or whatever, then the worry resists that. That that's which which uh, is always complaining and restless and, and thinks there's or the doubt that thinks there's some kind of time plan on this. So we can know is the upright mind. Is that and you can't move away from that into into time, place, self-view, 
um, anything like that. You move away from that, you go into a place of, of agitation and despair. You don't have to, the upright mind doesn't seek results, it seeks practice. It's establishing that. And that in itself is a result. And so we can then, with that, we can recognize, oh, this is, this is that, that karmic habit of worry again. Well, that's what it is. It's like this. We begin to see more clearly, oh, this is how I go into it. This is how it catches. This is how, you know, I spread it out onto a situation. This is how it gets projected out into a situation. So we study it more, more and more clearly, fully. Where does it leak out? And gradually one can, can seal up those places where this, these things leak and spurt. So there is a... process in that um, establishing recognizing establishing and and staying with one's established uprightness however that manifests as fearlessness or devotion integrity you know how what references one has to that and don't don't leave it. Don't ever leave it. Don't go into a self view of about that. Either being it or not being worthy of it, or who do I think I am? No. It's it's not self. It's not a person. But it's there is that. When that's stronger. When it becomes fully established, we be, we have more ability to then uh, really investigate the roots of of hindrances and difficulties, obstructions. And at one one place, one can see is a lot of it just comes from not knowing or not having confidence or not being in the upright mind not being with that polygamy (laughs) you should really remain true and faithful to to this and the uh, Results of this, uh, you know, having affairs with the uh, conditioned realm. Entering into appropriate, inappropriate relationship with the conditioned realm. With the event flow. Seeking something from it. Um, demonizing it. These two extremes. 
sense world is just all, you know, toxic or ugly or hideous or whatever. Or that it's all important and necessary, or that it's all wonderful, or any mixtures of it. Some is wonderful, some is horrible, you know. And so this is all taking a stand, isn't it? In the upright mind, you don't have to demonize or uh, support. Thing conditions sort themselves out. So there is a further purification in one's view and attitude towards the conditioned realm. That can we begin to resonate with it? How does this affect uh, the, the crudeness of 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 aversion or, or, or love and fondness. It becomes much more softer, like how does this effect, noticing you know, these particular things bring up these effects. When we can begin to resonate with experiences, then a practice gets very fluent and creative. We're actually just recognizing the edge of, uh, of oh, this brings up some worry. Oh, that's interesting. This brings up some fear. Oh, that's interesting. This brings up some kind of, you know, thirst for this, eagerness for this. That's interesting. We just began to resonate with these things once one has that, that strength, that, that strength of uprightness. Um, and recognizing with that that what one is, is, is really seeking or what the interest is in is in those, those resonances, not in the, the apparent condition, but in, the, in what it can do for us it seems to do for us. And resonances are what? They're essentially ephemeral. They're like uh, sound waves or they're just so, you know, mirage-like. When you cultivate and you bring around skillful conditions, you contemplate the resonances of those, the, the, the Pity, rapture, uplift, devotion, confidence, gratitude, kindness, you know, these resonances and suffusions that wash through the mind. The skillful conditions that arise. So when we begin to experience the conditioned realm much more as, as a resonant field rather than Things that happen, you know, it's it's very much more a recognition of of a kind of the, the skin begins to dissolve, if you like, between the sense of me and the sense of it, because the resonance is the very sense of the permeability, the interdependence of experience, the effectiveness, the being affected for good and for bad. And naturally, of course, we incline towards that which is good because you begin to see that. The effects that are good, such as kindness and generosity and uplift and rapture and so forth, are those which most clearly sustain, most fully sustain the ability to be clear about resonance. You know, when the unwholesome states are the ones that continually tend to, to cloud the clarity. They proliferate. Um, um, 
they cloud the mind, whereas the bright, bright resonances tend to drop back into uh, 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 an overall sense of, of clarity and, and lightness. The resonances are very uh, useful mark to make or useful um, phrase and acknowledgement to, to, to come to in terms of, of refining one's practice. How do things affect? Then we come to something like in the third foundation of mindfulness, this is the citta affected by. Mm. And the effect is constricted or it's bright. Mm. It's, it's a resonant experience. Mind is, is a kind of quality of being affected, or citta is a quality of being affected. Very much implicit and enfolded in experience. Not not separate from experience, but not not experience in the old sense of the word, because experience now is no longer something happening external to me. Experience is was like a wave rising up in this in this in awareness. It's not exactly internal or external. It's like a wave of suffusive resonance arising within this awareness. Some of it's going to be triggered off by external stimulation. Some of it can be triggered off by internal stimulation. But the actual place of of the mind at this time is neither internal nor external. Internal and external both manifest within it, in a way. So, so the practice in strength becomes much finer and stronger then because it's then much easier to dis- to disband the positioning of experiences, like, you know, uh, when we don't realize the quality of, of, that, of resonance, then we always assume there's something out there to have or something out there to get rid of. You know, there's this fantastic thing out there, this important event or this terrible thing in the future or this horrible thing in the past or this fantastic, you know, all those kinds of things out there that's affecting us. Or internal, you know, all these incredible calaces, you know, notched somewhere under my under my heart chakra, or kind of murky spaces <laughs> somewhere within, or my dreadful past. Become much more so the, the quality of the resonant chitta is, is very much presence, present. It's called the um, presently arising, Pachupana Dhamma is the Buddhist word for it, just contemplating the present arising just as that. And each present arising in a way presents certain blueprints, you know, the same genetic code, if you like, of, of, uh, of karma. So when you experience a sense of resonance, the mind is quite refined and the effects are like a, sh- a shimmering, there's a shifting, a shimmering effect. 
it becomes more refined when you get to something like realizing, which is the, which is a much finer sort of resonance than that. It's just, realizing is more like just like the sense of oh, dawning, rather than oh, I got it, which is the resonance is more like oh, yeah. there's this definite tremble. Realizing is much finer than that. The realizations are always um, to do with um, seeing or experiencing something, um, experiencing past the resonance of things, oh, which is the realizations are, oh, this is conditioned. That's, that's the word, that's the language that's used for it. All this has arisen because of conditions. But that's not what happens. You, don't, you, know, you don't get a little phrase go through the mind. But there is a, a, a coolness or a dispassion or a non-engagement or non-issue uh, realizing that, that there is no event here. <laughs> there is no issue here. There is no event here. There never was an event here. We were, we were actually in, in the resonances with a, some sort of notion or, or holding to, to a feeling that there's something here that's causing this or some entity or some, something that's happening to. And realization is very much one of, there's nothing, you know, it's just that. It's not actually affecting anybody. And realization tends to, to quench the thirst or the agitation that goes on around particular resonances. You know, is it, I'm a happy, is this interesting? Is this pleasant? Is this uplifting? Is this, you know, what kind of buzz am I getting out of it? Or even a concern over the quality of resonance, such as, you know, things are, things are not much is happening, or I feel quite, quite, uh, buzzy, you know, overcharged. You know, it's, it's not actually anything substantial. It's just that. Like an energetic quality. Realization helps us to recognize that though these, these, all these things arise through conditions, conditions are not. They're not really conditions, you know. They're not entities in themselves. They're they're, they're effects and proclivities and tendencies and uh, inclinations. They're not they're not things. So conditions are really themselves, not just um, impermanent, but also substanceless. But one can't. Neither can one say that there aren't any conditions. It's the conditions are of this nature. They're, they're like this. Um, and even the, the finer conditions, such as uh, brightness or, or um, rapture or ease, are just this. Not anything particularly to be sought for, except this relevant... Uh, 
you know, in terms of, of dispelling grosser forms of hindrance and the stuckness and the rigidity and the forcefulness and the, and the lethargy. But so they have a relative value. So that sense of, of, of graduation, graduated process of from, say, where we get reactive, we find ourselves just impulse, reaction, um, ricochets, uh, no real, no real um, track on this, no real um, perspective on this at all, just really bouncing around with reactivity into at least getting some, some recognition going. So establishing that place of recognizing the, the, the reactivity and establishing, begin to establish the upright mind to free ourselves from, from reaction. And then when, when the, when the mind becomes free from reaction, then also then free from resistance to things, which is much more like a, a resonant experience. When you're feeling a particular um, mental or emotional effect, just see how does it affect the body? That's that's resonance. It's like checking how how the effectiveness of things. How does it affect which part of my body seems strongest now, or do I get tension in my head? Uh, is the chest present or absent? So that that the lot of dhamma vijaya investigation. Uh, when the body is ill or in pain, or how does it affect the mental attitude? Do I find myself um, short-tempered or fretful or um, late, you know, indolent, self-pitying or whatever, you know, or defensive or angry with myself, you know, snap out of it, get impatient? How does it affect that? Just seeing that the resonances go across the emotional. Field, the psychological field, the, the physical field, and they, when you see that actually they're just that, they're just these three fields you know, bouncing off each other. Then wherever you can, you can, uh, you can take it from, say, the place where that, that resonance is becoming solid, you know, into an entity or a self or a particular karmic effect. You know, very often we'll just get into some some emotional state or some uh, mental attitude and keep acting on that, like, this is what I've got to do, or these people are like this, or, you know, practice is like that, or you can never do this, or I've got to do that, and you, you get very, you feel yourself, your mind gets hard like a rock. Not not upright, but, but kind of um, um, unpleasant and hard. Then very often we come to that particular state. Then let's check, you know, what's happening in your jaw now? You know, why is your, why are your teeth grinding against each other? Is that is that a sign of good practice or what? <laughs> or, or uh, you know, is one's behaviour becoming dismissive and abrupt? Are we attending to our duties in a way that's still open and careful, or are we getting kind of very casual and, and slapdash about what we do? So being able to resonate, you know, and we can see, well, actually, one instead of 
trying to do what we think the practice is. Just try to do it in another field. So perhaps sometimes it's about, well, just learn to wash your bowl carefully, dry it, and you know, wait patiently and stand back from the doorway and, you know, using that to, 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 as a place where one practices for letting go of, of, um, despair or urgency or irritation rather than thinking it and trying to see it as something that's exclusively internal. These, these are all these positions, body, mind, emotion, internal, external, they're all interdependent. When you get locked in one particular location and you get locked there, very often you don't actually have the, the skill to, to free yourself up at that place. You have to go to another place. Sometimes when you have a, a knot, a rope tied up in a knot, you don't go to the center of the knot where it's its tightest to undo it, even though that's the pit you want to undo. You go to the place where it's weakest on a peripheral place and you start to tease that out. And gradually that loosens up the center. And that still requires attention, focus, clarity, but more you know, investigation and, and, uh, and um, checking out the broader field of effects. Sometimes I find when I get in these states where I seem to have so much to, to uh, that I've got so much to do. And what sometimes is helpful, I just spend you know a little time carefully watering the plants and just tidy my room up, rather than get on to do all these things I've got to do. Find another way of dealing with that very mental state of of urgency by doing something that's more careful, uh, not so important, and taking away that, that sense of, of urgency and, and uh, you, know, you know, what I call rabbit, rabbit in the headlights state. <laughs> when you look at your agenda, you just kind of, oh, no. no, no, it's just the moment. That's just the perception in the mind. And, oh, the phrase of, of Thich Nhat Hanh, that I don't always remember, is a very useful mantra, um, so it starts off the phrase is there's so little time and then it says therefore we must go slowly <laughs> rather than hurry up, hurry up, hurry up there's so little time therefore we must go slowly it, it, as a resonant experience it makes perfect sense <laughs> If you realise it's, it's very much the state of mind that, that eliminates time is the thing to be dealt with by creating more time. There's plenty of time, and it, you know, in this moment. So just check, you know, using that to check the attitudes that we have, the perceptions that we have. So just recognise your body, or there's a very physical form of how you walk, how you sit, how you move around. You know, whether the body, on a subtle level, where the body is upright, extended, or it gets cramped and tight and dull. You know, whether you can walk carefully and reflectively, or whether you're scurrying or, or kind of dragging along. The whole body field. 
and in parts of the body where you get locked up in your jaw or you tighten your shoulders, uh, or sunk in the chest. And then the emotion, emotional field, you're blissful, um, easeful, uh, urgent, excited, um, you know, despair, fearful, defensive, you know, the whole gamut of, of the emotional range. And the psychological stuff, which is where the world gets built. I am this, they are that. This is tomorrow, that was yesterday. This is what one has to do. You know, this is the right practice. Particularly when that afflicted mind takes over the Dharma. Starts telling us what the right practice is. You know, the patient becomes a doctor, that's sometimes the, the worst case. Mind in the psychiatric unit starts to think it's actually the therapist. <laughs> so, you know, that skillfully you try to just relate those three fields. When things seem to be getting getting solid, getting self, getting definite uh, in one field, then just what's now? Is that how is that? And how does it relate to the others? Even if it's a positive one, one can get over, over excited or, or naive or inattentive through positive states. Everything is wonderful, you know. Everybody loves me, you know, this kind of thing. So you just don't you lose mindfulness. And all this resonance acts as the, the raw material for mind. So we've taken off the husks and the shells, we've just got the real core fruit for the mind. So the sense of, of mind then arises out of that which experiences these effects. And is made bright, wise, stupid, or hindered in accordance with these effects. Now, when these these effects are seen as as ephemeral, then the mind that's wise, ignorant, stupid is also ephemeral. So that that we're not trying to have a wise mind as such, or a bright mind. As an end goal, I mean, as, as a, certainly useful as a as a, an important refuge place to come to, but as an end result, it's to realise you know, the place of neither existence nor non-existence. It's not that there isn't, but you can't say you can't. The mind is not wise or bright or ignorant or stupid or defiled 
or undefiled. Mm. Those are those are resonances that give rise to the sense of there being a mind. Mm. 